The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Are worry and want robbing you of rich living? Think about it. We have a tendency to allow worry to steal us or steal from us the best in our life. And the reason we worry is we spend our time worrying about getting our hands on what we want or need or worrying about how we can keep what we want or need. And so worry has a tendency to stir up in us and and rob us of the best of our lives, the best part of our lives. And so I I know this personally, very intimately. I would not consider myself a um, chronic worrier, but I I have a list of things that I worry about. And, And so this is a really sad confession. I laid in bed last night worrying about preaching about worry. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I actually woke up at 3.45 a.m. and could not fall back asleep and was literally rehearsing this sermon in my mind, worrying that I wasn't going to get it right. And I do this regularly. I'll go to bed and all of a sudden, like some issue that we're dealing with as a church or, you know, man, are we going to make payroll or maybe I'm trying to figure out some problem or trying to help coach another pastor and it'll, the problem will just start running through my mind and I'll be laying in bed and, and I'm literally watching the hours tick away and my mind is just like racing a mile a minute trying to figure out and solve what I feel like are the problems of the world. And then I have other things I worry about that are probably a little more silly. Uh, not that worrying about worrying, not that worrying about preaching a sermon on worry isn't silly, but uh, I have this thing I worry about uh, what I'm going to order when I go to a restaurant. I have like, I, I have coined a professional term for it. It's ordering anxiety. And uh, I will go to a restaurant and I'll just get really worked up, especially the bigger the menu, the more stressed I get because there's all these options. And I'm like, and here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to pick the wrong one. And that would have been such a better meal, and then somebody's going to get it. Or I'll see somebody deliver it to another table, and I'll be like, oh, <laughs> can I change my order? I know it's already cooking, but, and I, so I'll get all stressed, so I just stick with what I always get. It's not that I don't want something different. It's that I'm worried that if I order it, I'll get the wrong, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And so all these things we get worried about. You know where the word worry comes from? An old German word that means to choke or to strangle. And if you think about how we worry and what we worry about, we worry about what we want or what we need, or we worry about losing what we want or what we've needed. And what does, worry begins to stir in us. It rises up and we begin to think through the worst case scenarios that we're not going to get what we want or what we need or we're going to lose what we want or what we need. Think about it as parents, right? We love our children. We, we've prayed for our children. We want our children to ha- have great lives. And then we start to create all these scenarios, these worst case scenarios in our mind. And we're like, a, our mind is a horror flick. We can, in split seconds, create the most horrific possible scenarios, and we can create 30 of them very quickly. And and what it does is it rises up in us, and we emotionally begin to strangle ourselves. And our mind begins to choke clear thinking. And when we worry about what we want or losing what we want, it sets up a trap because we live our lives wanting and worrying about what we're, whether we're going to get what we want or whether we're going to lose what we want. And we live our lives in a trap 
being choked emotionally and our mind being strangled from clear thinking. And you're living it and I'm living it. And Jesus taught about it. He taught about how to climb out of, or maybe, maybe how to loosen the grip of worry. How to, how to break free from the chokehold of worry and anxiety. And so Jesus told a story, and the story is recorded, recorded by a guy named Luke, a, a medical doctor, a physician, who began to notice how this guy Jesus treated people different than he did. And the results were totally different. This, Luke could provide medicine, but Jesus would transform people's lives. And Luke became a follower of Jesus and later in life sat down and wrote out his eyewitness account of the life and teachings of Jesus from his experience. And that book that he wrote got passed down and eventually became recorded in the Bible and known as the gospel according to Luke. And in Luke chapter 12, he records that Jesus was teaching and he told this story, a simple little illustration to make a profound point about this really rich guy who had a great season. And he had, a, he had a very successful season. In essence, you could say he, got a, he had a great sales year and got a huge Christmas bonus. He had, he had a, a great year. And so the story goes that this rich guy um, says, I don't know what to do with everything I've got. I mean, I've got wealth beyond my imagination. He goes, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tear down my smaller barns and I'm gonna build bigger barns. I'm gonna sell my little house and I'm gonna build a bigger house. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trade in my little car and I'm gonna get a nice big SUV. He goes, I'm, I gotta start new bank accounts because I got so much money. And Jesus said, you fool. You, you've been thinking only about what you want and what you need, how to get rich right now, but you're not thinking about how to live rich how to live a rich life. You're, you're not thinking about living rich in the life to come. And then he continues with that teaching. And so I'm just gonna jump right here. It's Luke chapter 12 and Jesus, then Jesus said to his disciples. So immediately after this, he turns to his close friends that are sitting in a crowd of people and he, and he kind of lowers his voice and he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry. Now, I know you all expect me to kick into a kuna matata, but let's just keep going. Don't worry about your life. It's a worry-free philosophy. Uh, what you, don't worry about what you're going to eat or about, what you're, uh, or about your body, what you're going to wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, now check it out here. This is important. Jesus is speaking to a third world country. He's speaking into a group of people that they might not have dinner tonight. And not just dinner tonight, they might not have breakfast tomorrow morning and then lunch and they might not have dinner. Like they're, they're living in abject poverty and he's speaking to this third world context and he says, look, don't worry about your food, what you're gonna eat. Oh, and they might not have a coat to wear when the desert night turns brutally cold and they might freeze to death. And Jesus goes, and don't worry about what you're gonna wear, whether you're gonna freeze to death tonight. And, and his challenge is, you're worrying, you're getting so caught up in this, but why do you not have to worry? And, and he uses this broad statement, he goes, don't worry about your life. And, and when he says that, what he's saying is this very big statement, don't worry about any aspect of your life. Parents, stop worrying about your kids. Stop, 
Stop worrying about that promotion. Stop worrying about that deadline. Stop worrying about that test. Kids, you're, you're, you're going crazy worrying about the SATs. Stop it. You're, you're worrying about whether your, your haircut looks good or you're worrying about, worrying about whether your outfit is in style or whatever is on your mind and consuming you and preoccupying your thoughts. He's just going every aspect of your life, that, that emotional disorder, that mental distress, that you're looking in the mirror and you don't like what you see. He goes, all of it. Stop worrying about it. He goes, you want to know why you can stop worrying about it? And so he continues. He goes like this. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. Consider, in our context, in America, we would say, he would say, consider the turkey vultures. That's actually what he's saying here. Consider the turkey vultures. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than turkey vultures? And, and the challenge is this. He, then he goes, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So what, what a profound thought. Jesus goes, think about it. All that worry, all that middle of the night stress, all those moments when you're, when you're staying up and you're thinking through all these horrible scenarios, what is it actually accomplishing? Did, did you worrying about your kids actually get them home safe? Did you worrying about whether you're, you were going to lose your hair, actually keep your hair in? For a couple of you, clearly not, right? <laughs> did, did worrying about going gray keep you from growing gray? No, actually research suggests that worry and stress actually have a profoundly negative effect on our physical health. It's, it might be what's making my hair fall out and, and make us go gray and make us feel old. And worry is actually deteriorating, deteriorating us from the inside out. And so he's going, what is it actually doing for you? It's actually having a negative effect. If you sat there and worried all day about wanting to live longer, would it add a single hour to your day? What can you control? He says, since you can't do this very little thing of adding one hour to your life, why do you worry about the rest? And, and then Jesus is going to offer a challenge. He's going to dig deep under the surface and go, you want to know where worry comes from? And so here it is. He goes like this. This is what causes worry. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes... Your heart is driven by worry, and your treasure leads your heart. Did you catch that? Your heart will follow what you value. Your heart will chase your treasures. And so our heart, where we worry, where we get distressed, where we get full of anxiety, is going to chase after our values. It's going to chase after what we find is important, right? Your kids have your heart. Your job has your heart. Your bank account has your heart. Getting that new car or that better car has your heart because it's what you value and it's consuming your attention, your affection, and your abilities. Anything that consumes your attention, your affection, and your abilities is called worship. We worship what we want, therefore we worry about whether we're gonna get it or we can keep it. And Jesus said what happens is our heart chases our treasure. Whatever we value, whatever we put our affection, our attention, and our abilities on. And so if we're gonna, if we're gonna, get, so if we're gonna do this different, 
then here's the big idea. Here's what we have to write. Here's, here's what we got to live. And so I encourage you to write this down. I'm going to give you a point. I want you to write this down. Your program and the study guide, there's a place to take notes. Feel free to use a smartphone or a tablet. Nobody's going to be offended if you pull out a smartphone and you start typing. We're all going to assume that you're taking notes and you're not playing, um, you know, a game on your phone. Here's the deal, right? It's, it's important to write this down because so often, if you're like me, you're going to forget this by lunchtime. And if we're going to apply this to our life, which is the point, right? We're not coming just to get information. We're coming to have a transformation of how we live. And so what I want you to write down is this. If, based on what Jesus said, we got to change what we treasure. If my treasure, if my heart is chasing my treasure and my heart is where I worry, then I got to change what I treasure if I'm going to change the direction of my life. So you gotta change what we treasure. How's that possible? let's, Let's rewind back to why we do this. Here is what we're trying to accomplish. You and I, we treasure things because we believe they add value to us, right? This isn't rocket science, like you all, we all get this, right? We treasure things because they make us feel something. We, they add value to us. We, in essence, we believe this equation that if I get more, I am more. I am, my value is based on my valuables. And so if I have more and I get my hands on more, then I become more. And then we worry about whether we can get more or lose what we have. If we lose it, we become less. If we can get more, we become more. And so we spend our life worrying about our, in essence, about our treasure because we have our value attached to it. You want to know why? Because at the core of who we are, you and I are fundamentally broken. Look, I'm not pointing fingers at you. I We all struggle with this. We find our value in our self-image, what we look like in the mirror, and so we, we put our value in how we dress or how we look or our hair, the little bit we might have. We put our value in our position or our education. We put our value in the, in the car or the house. We put our value in our kids. Not, not that, right, so you start that. Not that there's anything wrong with loving my children, but when my identity, my sense of self-worth is attached to my children and how they're doing, then there is something broken. And here's what we all discover. No matter what you add to your life, no matter what you buy, no matter what you purchase, no clothing, no amount of food ever fills this broken part of who we are, our heart. You can't fill it up. No matter what you put in, you never feel like you become worth anymore. Why? Because at the core of who we are, that part that feels broken is caused by sin. Sin is this spiritual part that was broken because we disregarded God and we do our own thing. Sin, which fractures us. It fractures our sense of what is valuable, our treasure. Sin breaks what we see as valuable, so we chase treasures to fill our value bank. And no matter what we get our hands on, it never seems to fill it. Sin drives us away from God. It's this deep part of who we are that pushes us away from God toward pursuing our built-in, innate desires that are broken. And so we see other treasures as valuable. 
and we believe that those things will make us feel more valuable. It will increase our sense of self-worth. And so we chase after them, driven by this sin that is broken relationship with God. But all along, whatever we're chasing to make us feel richer, in turn actually robs us. It's making us poorer. We think that addictive desire will fulfill us or numb us. And all along the way, it's just making us poor. It's robbing our life. The more we worry, the more stressed we become, it's robbing our life. You see where I'm going, right? And so whatever we're chasing after, it's, not, it's doing the opposite of what we hoped it would do because that's the nature of sin. It tricks us, it baits us in, and then it switches on us. And it does the opposite of what it promises. And worse, it leads to eternal ruin, where we, when we die, we don't just cease to exist. We go into a forever suffering the judgment of a life of sin. But Jesus intervened, and this is why Jesus is teaching. He's challenging people. He's challenging his friends. He goes, look at your life, what you're worrying about, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. I know you're living in abject poverty, but you're consuming your life with something. And the more you worry, it doesn't change your situation. Here, here's what I want to challenge you to do, and he gives an idea, a principle. I challenge you to change what we treasure. How? Well, here it is right here. This is the next line Jesus gives. He goes, but seek his kingdom. The simple, I mean, just literally four words, right? But seek his kingdom, and yet it's life-changing. How is it life-changing? Because what Jesus is saying in this moment is this. In essence, change what we treasure. You've been seeking your kingdom, where you are the king of your life. You, you get to focus your attention, your affection, and your abilities on whatever you want, hoping to add value to your kingdom, to your domain. And he said, but when you seek my kingdom, here's what you're going to do then. And, and so I wrote it down so it makes sense to you. We need to refocus our focus. Our focus is on the wrong things, and that's why we're worried about them. But we need to refocus our focus on seeking God's kingdom. Let, let me unpack this for you. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is anywhere where God is king. So is God king of your life? And Jesus was coming not just to do teaching on the fact that you chase things that you think will make you rich, but in fact they make you poor. He didn't come just to teach. He came to give his life because the consequence of sin is that we live broken lives toward an eternal ruin. And so Jesus came to take your sin and my sin and put it on himself. That eternal judgment that every one of us face, he took it all collectively, gathered it up for every single person and put it on himself. So that when Jesus died, he died the perfect God-man. And he died in our place, giving his life as the sacrifice for the payment for the death we deserve. The judgment we're headed toward, he took fully on himself so that when he died, he died once for all. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of sin and given new life because God's spirit enters into your spirit forgives you, removes shame and guilt. And when God's spirit enters into your spirit, he transforms your heart so that you, you change what you treasure. 
And he goes, now you place your affection, your attention, and you use your abilities for my kingdom, not your kingdom. That's worship. You begin to worship me rather than your wants, your desires, your position, your promotion, your, your paycheck, your, your career, your, your house, your car, whatever it is that you're right now, you're, you're p- focusing your attention on, your worry on. He goes, now you put your worship on me which helps you to overcome worry, refocusing our focus so that now we say, Jesus, you are all that I need. In essence, here's the equation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything minus Jesus equals nothing. You and I have to pause and actually believe that though. If you had nothing, but you believe in Jesus, do you fundamentally believe that you have everything? Because if you do, you could actually climb out of and you could lose the grip of worry. I don't need anything. There's nothing that could ever be added to my life that would make me of greater value. And there's nothing I could ever lose that would cost me value. I could be in a prison cell suffering in the name of Jesus and be the richest person on earth. I could live richly. I could be starving to death with nothing and be the richest person because I have Jesus and I have an eternity with Jesus. Now, if you get that, that's going to, for a moment, it kind of rocks your thinking. You're like, wow, that, that's hard. That, that, that's, that, that changes how I see the world. And then Jesus asks, he goes, okay, now how do you live like this? All right, here we go. So he continues. This is Luke 12, verse 31. He goes, but seek his kingdom, right? So where Jesus is king, seek what God's up to. Seek having God at the center of my life. He goes, and these things will be given to you. Wait, what? So if I take my focus off of worrying about what I want, God will take care of what I want. I mean, you got to admit, you got to stop and scratch your head and be like, wait, that's, that's a game changer. Seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you. What were the things he was talking about? He was talking about what I eat, what I wear, my basic needs. And so what's the point? It means that if I'm going to change what I treasure by refocusing my focus, then I have to focus on God as my provider. Did you catch that? I have to trust that God is my provider. Here's the deal. You know how most of us live our lives? We believe that we are our provider. And so we focus on our abilities, and then we put our abilities, our affection, and our attention on whatever we want. And we worry about things because we are trusting ourselves to protect what we have and get more of what we want and need. We see ourselves as provider, and so we worship at the altar of our wants and our needs. But when I discover that when I seek God, God then in turn takes care of me, then I focus my attention on God as my provider. Now, I want to I illustrate this for you in a very simple way. So I invited a team. They're going to come, and they're going to bring out some stuff. But while they're doing that, let me read this to you. He says this in Luke chapter 12. He goes, how can you... How can you do this? What, is, what, is God, what does it mean for God to be your provider? He goes, yes, consider the ravens. So we talked about that, right? Kind of like turkey vultures. In Jewish culture, a raven was, a, I mean, it's a scavenger and it's, they considered it unclean, meaning you're not allowed to touch a raven. If you touch a raven, um, it would make you filthy, unclean. You wouldn't be allowed to go to church. So he goes, consider these filthy creatures. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. 
And then he goes like this, consider the wildflowers. And specifically, he's talking about lilies. Think about how a a wild lily grows. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all of his splendor, actually supposed to say was not dressed, uh, wasn't even dressed like one of these. Uh, Meaning, God is looking out for the most basic needs of your life. And so, um, what, what he's saying here is this. It's not that you don't have to work. It's not that you don't have to plan. It's not that you don't have to get life insurance. It's not that you don't have to have a living will. It's not that you don't have to get up tomorrow morning and say, I got to get back to work. He's saying, yes, you're going to be faithful doing those things, but understand that you are not the provider. God gives you breath in your lungs to work. God gave you opportunity to do what you're doing. So what we do is this, it changes where our focus is at. God, I focus on you as my provider rather than me carrying the weight of the world that I have to get this right. And this is gonna be a daily base, a a daily struggle, isn't it? You you catch it, right? Because tomorrow or tonight, I'm gonna go to bed, I'm gonna be worrying. And I'm going to have to challenge myself, wait a second, that's not my responsibility. I can't affect that outcome. God, I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to focus on you as my provider. You're looking out for me. You're meeting my needs. Here's what happens. Most of it, you got to admit, you got to like pineapples and and watermelons. And, And so here's what happens. Since we believe that we're the ones who plant the seed and work the field and produce the harvest, that it's mine. And I got to protect it. And I got to take care of it. And you got to admit, you want a watermelon, right? And uh, so God, I am my provider and you can't have it. But, but if God provided it, then I look at it different. God, look at what you've provided for me. God, look at how you've taken care of me. Therefore, it's not mine. It's from God. And I am simply a steward, a recipient of the gifts God has provided for my life. Now, this changes what we do next. When I focus on God as my provider, I understand that I I may have worked for it. I may have earned it, but it's not mine. God provided it for me. God provided it through my work. God provided it through those opportunities. Now, the way I handle it is, rather than worshiping what I've earned, you see, we can, we can fall in love with our watermelon. This is my watermelon, and I work for it, and you can't have it. Don't touch my watermelon. <laughs> and, and we can say, uh, we, we can begin to hoard what we have. And we can say, I want more watermelons. And I might come get your watermelon. Meanwhile, here's what Jesus is saying. He goes this. Check this out. He says, "Um, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's given you everything. He's given you his kingdom. So here's how I want you to respond. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Oh, my goodness. Can you see it? He goes, look at, I've provided for you. Here's what I want you. I want you to sell some of your watermelons. I want you to give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, meaning purses in heaven. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. You know what his point was? Jesus is speaking. He's simply saying this. Make God's focus our focus. Focus on the things that God values. You you want to know what to put your time and energy into? What does God value? What does God say is important in life? See, we've been focused, driven by sin, on what we think is valuable. And so we put our our affection, our attention, and our abilities into what we value, hoping that those things will make us of more value. So our heart chases what we treasure. He's saying, you want to get this right? Value God's kingdom, and your heart will chase it. 
then your heart will be in heaven. Your heart will be in relationship with God and you will begin to accumulate treasures in heaven. So I wanna illustrate this for you. So check this out. Our team is gonna come and they're gonna to begin to give, bring in what God provides. But I want you to see this. Here's how God wants you to handle what he provides. He wants you to take some of it and give it to him. Check this out. I want you to imagine this. Everything that they're going to be bringing, we're going to say, this is what God is providing. God's taking care of you, right? And God says, would you set aside a portion of it for me? Focus on what I'm focused on. You know what God's focused on? His kingdom. He's focused on people. People matter to God. Do people matter to you? God loves you. Are you willing to love him and love others in return? And so here's what God asks. There's this funny little word. It's spelled T-I-T-H-E, tithe. And it sounds like a tiff. It's, it's tithe. And it means this. It's, it's an ancient principle of setting aside 10% of what we have for God. Now, it's not a rule. It's not a command. It's a pattern. The principle is sacrificial generosity. Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. So he said this. He goes, take the principle of sacrificing in order to be generous toward God by being generous toward others. And then there's a pattern that we see consistently. How do we know what, it, what is the beginning point of sacrificial generosity? Setting aside 10%. So the principle is sacrificial generosity. The pattern is 10%. And so what does that mean? Check this out, right? So I took one watermelon. We got 10 of everything, all right? So one watermelon, we're gonna give one pineapple. We got, we got a cantaloupe over here. We got a lemon. God wants lemons. He wants lemonade. He's gonna make lemon. He's gonna make lemons out of lemonade. He's gonna, a kiwi? Hey, do you have any idea how kiwis grow? I bet you didn't know this. They grow like grapes. They hang like on a vine. I know this because in Albania, they have kiwis and we've gone there. Uh, God wants some tangerines. God wants some apples. What else do we have? We got, oh, nectarine. Look at that, yay! Uh, anything else? That's good. God is all about mangoes. Here's what I want you to see. This is what God provided. And then God says, would you give a portion back to me through the local church so that I can meet other people's needs through you? We don't apologize for encouraging you to set aside a portion so that your treasure is in heaven. God has provided everything for your needs in abundance. And, and yet you and I are like, no, 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 God, I got to keep it all. God saying, look, just a small portion, right in comparison. Come on. God's saying, I'm, I've provided everything. Now, would you trust me by focusing on what I'm focused on so that your treasure is not... Your heart's not chasing your treasure through worry and anxiety, but you're trusting me as your provider, which means you're focused on what I'm focused on, which is people. And so I'm asking you to set aside 10% toward what I value. So you give to and through the local church, not because you have to, but because you want to in obedience to God's pattern. And you say, God, I'm going to trust you. And here's what God does. God takes our little sacrifice and he begins to change the world through us. And I do not apologize for inviting you to give to and through the local church. I believe in what God is doing through LifeHouse. I have never seen a better investment. And 
Trust me when I say I am not saying that because I'm the pastor. I, I get a chance to see the behind the scenes. I, I see where dollars go. I, I get a chance to see the mission support. I get a chance to see the local outreach impact. I hear the stories on a weekly basis, and I am constantly jaw-dropped going, are you kidding me? One of my favorite lines is like, we get to be part of this? Like, for me personally, when Laura and I give, we're like, are you kidding me? I get to be part of this? Because in God's hands, a mango's not a mango. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> that was, um, in God's hands, our little becomes abundance. God can do more with our sacrifice than we could do if we kept it and we hoarded it. And then here's, want to hear another step? God takes what's left and then he blesses it. And then he pours in more. But he doesn't give you more so you can have more, but so that you can give more. And then he invites you, would you live on less so you can give more? Maybe this week you don't need 10 banana clumps. Maybe you could just give a little bit more. Maybe this week, instead of eating nine watermelons, you're going to only eat eight. And we're going to call this kingdom builder stuff over here. You see what I'm saying? Like, God, I'll live on a little bit less so I can give just a little bit more because I believe, God, my investment is doing so much for the kingdom that I would rather sacrifice a little bit more of what I wanted to keep because my treasure isn't in this life. It's not about me eating as much fruit as I can. It's about me investing my fruit into your kingdom so that, God, you can do more with what I've offered you. Look, so this is a moment of trust where I say, God, I want to focus on what you focus on. I'm willing, I'm willing to live on less to give more. I'm willing to enter into a, a passion and a principle of sacrificial generosity. And so here's what I want to do. I want to land it with a challenge. In what way do you need to change your treasure? In what way do you need to refocus your focus? Focus on God as your provider and focus on God's focus where God's kingdom matters and God's people matter and broken people matter and you're willing to give more and live on less so that you can give to God and invest your treasure in eternity. So here's what I want you to do. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? And I want to pray over you. For some of you, this is a moment where you're going to say yes to Jesus as your treasure. God, I recognize that you are what's valuable. Others of you. You believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but man, you're, the way your spending habits go, it doesn't look like it. And so you're going to make a commitment today, God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to keep your focus, my focus. Would you let me pray over you? Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you came to earth to rescue us from living a broken life, chasing treasures that make us poorer, not richer. And for those right now that, God, they need to discover you as their treasure, their great treasure. You are worth more than anything and everything we could ever get our hands on. And so, God, right now we give you our heart. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you forgive sin? And would you fill those that are saying, Jesus, I make you my treasure today. And now, God, for each of us who believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, would you so radically transform us that we're willing to change our treasure from the stuff of this life where we get worried about getting and keeping to 
and focusing on you as provider and then focusing our focus on what you focus on. God, would you release in us a spirit of generosity? And God, as you release that, Lord, here's what I'm asking, that you would begin to bless extravagantly, abundantly, that businesses would prosper beyond their wildest imagination, sales would increase, profit would increase, um, paychecks would increase for this purpose, God, not so we could have more, but so that we could give more. Would you make us a giving church, a giving people, a generous people, so that God, a world around us and the world beyond us would be profoundly changed because we became generous in the way of Jesus. We ask this now in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.